How many of you remember that old ELO song called Headed for a Showdown? Headed for a Showdown. You remember that? Years ago. Don't date yourself. Long, long time ago. Anyways, uh, today we're going to look at Elijah. We're going to continue our study with, in Elijah, and, and he's definitely heading for a showdown. Elijah, that very unique, eccentric sort of individual with the big, big leather belt and the uh, sheepskin uh, kind of coat. But before we get to 1 Kings, let's look again at that verse in James, near the end of the book, uh, James chapter 5. In verse 17, right after Hebrews, just before 1 Peter, James chapter 5. The reason I, I like to look at this verse is because it tells us, we, we can say, oh, well, that, that was Elijah, and we put him into another category. But, but James 5, in verse 17, says Elijah was a man just like us. And so we also can be used. We may not do the same things that Elijah can, but, we, but, but what did Elijah do? We saw there in, in verse 16, it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And it says right, that Elijah uh, pl- uh, prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. The point being that he prayed, that he was a man who prayed, and we can pray and see God do things. I was reading in a verse in Daniel the other day, and it said that uh, as soon as you began to pray, I heard you, the answer was. And then a little bit later in Daniel, it says that uh, your prayer was heard from the beginning, but there was, a, there was spiritual warfare taking place for three weeks before I could come and answer this prayer. So sometimes the answers come right away. We're going to look at that more next week. Anyways, can anybody remember what Elijah's message was? Elijah, the great prophet who was just like us. His message was, turn back to the Lord. Turn away from the false gods. People were worshiping Baal and and Asherah, which, as we looked last week, included uh, in their forms of worship, included sex and lust and immorality of all kinds, perversion, pleasure, war and murder. Anything goes type of a mentality, a mentality and sensuality. And, and it's, as I pointed out last week, it's not, not very unlike our land today and what we see happening in our society today, heading right in that direction. We've turned away from God. And the message that Elijah has is, is very applicable to us, to our land today. Elijah wasn't afraid to stand up and challenge evil. And we need to be like Elijah today as well. Take a stand against evil. So we see in, in 1 Kings 18, if you want to turn there, 1 Kings chapter 18, this showdown between darkness and light. <clears throat> Quite an exciting account of what happened between Elijah and the false prophets. In chapter 18, 1 Kings, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Three years they'd had drought without any rain. Things were getting very desperate. And why was this happening? Because they turned away from God. They had they'd turned away and following after false gods. 
had been, it was a form of judgment on the land. And why was it also a, a period of drought? was because that this god, uh, Baal, was supposed to have control over uh, these things like weather and, and uh, the things of nature. He was also supposed to have control over fire, and we'll see how good he did with that. But the judgment was there, and, and the, the biggest thing that God allowed this to, to brought this to pass was to turn their hearts back. God doesn't do these things just so we can say there. You had it coming to you. He doesn't do it for that reason. He must judge sin because He's a righteous and holy God. But His ultimate purpose is to bring us back, to bring us back to Himself. And so uh, we see here that God spoke, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and He said, go and present yourself to Ahab. And we saw there in in, uh, James it says that Elijah prayed. So last week we saw Elijah prayed, God, do something this, the wickedness in our land is so bad. And now after three years, I think Elijah is now praying, God, have mercy on us. We're shriveling up. We're dying. Hold back. And, and, and in response to Elijah's prayer, and in God's time, and God's will, uh, God said, it's time. I'm going to bring rain. They hadn't fully repented. That wasn't why. It was because, God, because Elijah prayed for mercy. We see that throughout the Bible there were men that, that God used and answered their prayers like Abraham. He prayed for Lot in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, he said God, if there's just a few people there, will you please hold back the judgment until we get them out of there? And God answered his prayer. And later on Moses prayed for the people of Israel after they had worshipped the golden calf. God prayed, or Moses prayed, God have mercy because God was going to just destroy them all. We don't know our prayers for mercy. We don't know. And I believe the presence of Christians in our nation actually is holding back the judgment of God. And our prayers, God have mercy on our country. Hold back the judgment. But finally, God says, I'm going to send rain on the land. And Elijah, he says he went to present himself to Ahab. Now, I would have questioned or at least wondered, I would have at least maybe had a little discussion with the Lord, you know, like you do sometimes. Present myself to to Ahab? This guy is a wicked, wicked man, and and he is going to be real angry by now. And we'll see that he'd, he'd had people out looking for Elijah, hunting him down. And Jezebel is his wife. You want me to go back and, and actually present myself to him? She's worse than, than he is. She kills the Lord's prophets. We'll see later on in the chapter. But Elijah went. He obeyed God no matter what the cost was. No matter what the cost was. Sometimes God asks us to do things that, that, that may have a cost. But it says that he went, and, and it says now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. And Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. And while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. We have Obadiah now who, it seems to me, I was looking at this and we see Obadiah, 
it says he was a devout believer in the Lord. And later on in the chapter, it says that he, was a, a, he worshipped God since he was a boy. But it's interesting to see where God has placed him. He's right there as the administrator of the palace of Ahab and Jezebel, the deadly duo. The guy is working for the deadly duo, and, and, but he's a devout believer. He's strategically placed by God in the middle of this wicked family. Why? So that he might work out God's plan, that he might protect the prophets. It's just what he did. He went and protected the prophets, protected God's people. I wonder sometimes about where places God has placed us. We say, God, you, you can't be calling us here in the middle of this place to work in this place where, where every word that comes out of these guys' mouths or every other word is some form of a, a swear word. You, you can't possibly be calling me to stay here. But Obadiah was right in the middle of it and God was using him right in the middle of Ahab and Jezebel's palace he was hiding the boss he was hiding the prophets while his boss's wife was out hunting them very interesting verse 5 times are getting real bad so Ahab says to Obadiah go through the land to all the springs and valleys maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals so they divided the land they were to cover and Ahab going in one direction, and Obadiah going in another. So they split up, you go this way, I'll go that way, we'll go out and look and see if we can find some grass for these, these poor animals. And, it, and the way Ahab talks, it makes it sound like he's you know, really caring about the animals and everything, but Ahab didn't care about the animals, he cared about his chariots. He wanted to keep his chariots mobile. But it got bad enough that he himself was going to go out looking for, for food. But in verse 7, it says, As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him. And he bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master that Elijah is here. He's out looking for food for the, for the animals, and he finds Elijah instead. And I think he... I was wondering why Obadiah was able to recognize him Maybe it was just the way he looked, or maybe he had seen the posters in the, you know, in the post office. Uh, but, but he said, is it really you? And, and, then, and then Elijah says to go tell Ahab that Elijah's here. Go tell, Eli go tell Ahab that Elijah's here and he wants to see him. And, and look what Obadiah says in verse 9. He says, what have I done wrong? that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah's here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. And if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he'll kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was, hot, was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah's here. He'll kill me. 
fear obviously was getting the better of this fella. On and on, he's telling he wants to repeat the whole story. And it's understandable that he was a bit shaken up. This guy was bad. He thought that if, if, if he went and told Ahab that Elijah was there and then he got there and Elijah wasn't there, that's it. He said he'd, he'd be history. But verse 15, Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. He says, As the Lord Almighty lives, I'll be there. I will be there. I think Elijah was himself counting on God's almighty strength to, to keep him alive. But it's interesting, this is, I think, one of his favorite sayings where he says, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. And then he says something else. Before, he, he stood before Ahab and said, as the, Lord, as the Lord lives, whom I serve, it's not going to rain. And now he says, as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I'm, I'm going to be there. I think... We see in, in Elijah's life, it was, a, it was a simple thing for him. He says, the Lord lives, I serve him, so I'll be there. Or on we go. The Lord lives, I'll serve him, and I do serve him, so I'm going to go. No matter what. No matter what the cost. I think he's reminding himself while he's reminding other people. God lives, I serve him, let's go forward. That was kind of the, the, uh, the, the watchword of, Obed, of uh, Elijah's life. God lives. I serve him. Let's go. Now, verse uh, 16, Obadiah went to meet Ahab, and he told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you. And your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you have followed the Baals. Is that you, you troubler of Israel, he says? But who's really causing all the trouble? It's Ahab, the, this king that's supposed to be leading the nation to follow God. And what's he doing? It says that he abandoned the Lord's command. And secondly, they're following after the Baals or the Baals. They left the Word of God behind and they went after something else. They went after following something else. And you know what? Our nation is doing precisely the same. We've, we've abandoned the Lord's commands. We've abandoned the, the foundation and the morality of Scripture and we're trying to find peace in all the other things. All the things that, that these very same people were trying to find peace in the things of the flesh, immorality. We're trying to find peace in, in things like possessions, in money, in power. Trying to find peace in all the wrong places. Pardon? Cool. Um, I was thinking about this, about us in our society, you know, we don't, we don't have, we don't set up uh, kind of images where we go and fall down before them. At least I hope you don't. But, but we do have, I was thinking about this, and, and, and you ever think about the television set? That it's this sort of wo wooden, well, lots of them have wood on them, and, and we have one, so don't, I'm not trying to condemn you for having a television set. We do have one. 
but you, you, you get this television set and it takes a prominent place in the living room and then everybody gathers around it in all manner of different positions, laying down, prostrate before the television, you know, sitting, kneeling, in every possible position before this thing. Have you ever noticed that? And then they get sort of transfixed on this thing. You go to a restaurant or something and they have a television and everybody, their eyes automatically, you know, you're trying to talk to someone, you're looking at this television. It's got this sort of a draw to it. Have you ever noticed that? That's, that's even apart from the things that you actually see on that thing. You have to be very, very careful what you watch. I think that is one of the, the biggest tools uh, that uh, the world and uh, Satan has used to pull us away from following after God to following after all these other things. But um, before we go on, I just have a... Remember I told you about Billy Graham praying for the inauguration? Well, we, we put it on a little cassette tape. We just want to play that. It's just a minute and a half or two minutes long. So uh, go ahead and play that. I want you to hear what he had to say about our country. Uh, standing before President Bush and President-elect Clinton. Indeed, the eyes of the nation and the world are on us now as we prepare to inaugurate William Jefferson Clinton as president and Albert Gore Jr. as vice president of these United States. So President Bush, President-elect Clinton, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, as he has been called upon before, we now ask the Reverend Billy Graham to lead our nation in prayer. Reverend Green. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father, we thank you for this historic occasion when we inaugurate our new president and vice president. We thank you for the moral and spiritual foundations which our forefathers gave us and which are rooted deeply in Holy Scripture. Those principles have nourished and guided us as a nation in the past. But we cannot say that we're a righteous people, for we are not. We've sinned against you. We've sown to the wind and are now reaping the whirlwind of crime, drug abuse, racism, immorality, and social injustice. We need to repent of our sins and turn by faith to you. And now on this 20th day of January, 1993, we commit to you, President-elect Clinton and Vice President-elect Gore, whom you have permitted to take leadership at this critical time in our nation's history. Help them always to see the office to which they've been elected as a sacred trust from you. We pray that you will bless their wives who will share so much of the responsibility and burdens. May President-elect Clinton know that he is never really alone, but that the eternal God can be his refuge and he can turn to you in every circumstance. Give him the wisdom you have promised to those who ask and the strength you alone can give. We thank you for his predecessor, President Bush, and the dedication he gave to this office. Bless him as he and Mrs. Bush continue their dedicated service to our country in other spheres. We commit this inaugural ceremony to you and ask that the memory of this event may always remind us to pray for our leaders. I pray this in the name of the one 
who was called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Is that incredible or what? As, he, as the other guy uh, that announced him there, he said, the eyes of the whole world are watching us. And what are they seeing? A mess. And, and, and yet they're seeing a man saying that it's true. We have left behind. We have fallen. We have sinned against God. And we need to return and repent. Incredible. That's, that's where we find ourselves. But it's interesting uh, that Ahab <clears throat> calls Elijah the troubler. He gives him the blame for it. And, and I was, as I was watching this inauguration even, I felt, like, I felt like there would be people saying, what are you doing causing trouble? Why are you saying such terrible things, negative things? Don't you see you're just causing trouble? And many times those that would speak out against evil or stand up for what's right will be accused, will, will be blamed for causing trouble. Don't make any waves. Don't cause any trouble. But Elijah knew that that, that wasn't, gonna, wasn't right and that wasn't what he was called to do. So he kept speaking on. So moving on from there into verse 19, he begins the challenge. He begins his challenge here and it says that uh, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. She was feeding them. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And, and so they got the word around and got all these people and, and gathered them from all around. It could be thousands of people showed up for this. And, and the prophets there of, of Baal, 450 of them, and, and 400 uh, of Asherah. And, and it seems that, that Ahab uh, was following Elijah's directions. Maybe he thought that it was just a, a good sport to see what was going to happen here. But did he have a surprise coming? So, so verse 21, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you, will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah first went before the people before anything happened and he says, you've got to make up your minds. Who is it that you're going to follow? If Yahweh is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, you follow Him. But you cannot follow both. Make up your minds. This, this word that says waver here, uh, later on in, in, in verse 26, it says they danced around the altar they had made. It's the same word. It's sort of this dancing back and forth from one to the other. Which are you going to follow? How long will you dance and jump back and forth between one and the other? And Elijah says, you've got to make up your mind. You've got to follow the Lord or you've got to follow Baal, but you cannot follow both. You can't walk the fence. You cannot have one foot on the dock and one foot on the, in, in the boat. Because when that boat takes off, what happens? You're in trouble. And, and John said in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or anything in the, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't walk the fence. There's no middle ground. You can't drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup 
of demons, Paul said. So the people said nothing. They said nothing, no response at all. Maybe they were convicted and, and silenced by that, or maybe they just couldn't make up their minds. Okay, no answer. Let's move on. Verse 22, Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us and let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but do not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. No answer. Here's what we're going to do. And, and he sets up this showdown between the false gods of Baal and Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. As I said earlier, Baal is, was supposed to be sovereign over fire. He, he didn't do much good being sovereign over nature for three years. Well, let's see what he can do with fire. In verse 25, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. In other words, you go first. Now, there were 450 of them, and and we're not sure if the, if the 400 prophets of Asher were there. I believe that they were. But there were so many of them, but there were, if you add them all up, there's 850, and the odds were very, very much in their favor. But Elijah says, listen, there's so many of you, you go ahead and go first. 850 to 1, I don't want to have any advantages. You go ahead and go first. And again, the, the fact is that God's math is not our math. Numbers mean nothing. We, we, we can see that in the life of Gideon. And we saw it last week, that numbers don't mean anything. So verse 26 says, They took the bull and, and they prepared it, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, and no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. That's that same word of, of waver from before. They danced around the altar they made. No response, no answer. Baal, where are you? Baal, answer us. So they, so they called on him and they shouted and they danced from morning till noon. Now they were zealous. There's one thing you can say about these uh, false prophets. They were zealous. And sometimes we are not so zealous. We can say one thing about them. Sometimes we look at some of these false cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, the Mormons and some of these other guys. They are zealous. They will go out. They will tell people. But they're misplaced and they're, they're following with, with, with no knowledge, with no true knowledge of the true God. So verse 27, Elijah at noon, he began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling, or maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah, you know, he kind of, well, he's having a little bit of fun with them. You know, maybe your God, he's, he's just got a hearing problem. His hearing aid is turned off. You, you know, the guy, 
Never mind. That was bad. He, he thought he had a hearing problem, or maybe he's pre preoccupied, and, and uh, he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's busy, and you know what that word busy really means, if you have an, a, a, a living Bible, it actually means maybe he's, he's out relieving himself. It's what it literally means. Maybe he's over in the toilet, your God is. Or maybe he's on vacation, he's out traveling. Or maybe he's just plain asleep. But I was thinking about every one of those things, and I think, you know what, it's so wonderful that our God has none of those problems. It's wonderful. You know, he, he hears every word we say. He's always there for us. He's never too busy for us. He's never asleep. He's never on vacation. He says that our God never slumbers. He doesn't even get drowsy. How could he stay awake so long? Well, that's, that's, that's the point. He's very different than you and I are. But Baal and Asher, where are they? And where are the gods of today when, when we call upon them and when we look for those things to, to give us peace? Where are they when you really need them? If you only shout a little bit loud, louder, if you only dance a little bit harder, verse 28, so they shouted louder. And then they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. And midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. If you only shout louder and dance harder, and then they, they started cutting themselves all up. And, and some believe that they used to actually bite themselves and bite off chunks of their arm to, to, uh, to try to get their gods to respond. But there's no response. You know, sometimes we think that we have to get all worked up to get God to listen to us. Yahweh. We have to jump and shout and dance and, and mutilate ourselves and be on our knees for 17 hours straight until the, you know, there's no circulation in our feet. Just so God will respond to us. You know what? He, he doesn't need that. He's ready and, and willing to listen. I heard someone say the other day that, that God, He bends down like a, like a, uh, when when a child has something to say to an adult, uh, and you bend down to hear what that child has to say. God is like that. He's ready to bend down to listen to you. You don't have to shout, and you don't have to get all worked up. Now, if you're excited, it's okay if you shout. If you're happy, you can jump. I'm not saying those things are bad, but you don't have to do those things to get His attention. You've got His attention. He is trying to get your attention. The problem is there, not with His attention. Our attention span is, is short. But anyways, back in this account, at the very end of the day, there's no response, no answer, and no one pays attention. And up against Yahweh, they don't have a, they don't have a chance, and they're false gods. They're, they're not real gods. Of course they're not going to answer. They can't. However, you, you must also know that in much of false worship and in much of this kind of thing, there is a lot of activity. But what kind of activity is it? It's demonic activity. There's no real gods there. 
but the demonic activity is, is, is taking place. And there may be things happening. There may be tables that levitate off of the floor. There may be Ouija boards that, that do their thing. There may be unusual occurrences. But, but those things are all demonic activity, you see. But when it comes up to a showdown between God and these false, uh, false gods, forget it. They won't be there. At the very end of the day, the thing that, the thing that we've gone after won't answer to be able to help us. And, and having misled us down this path, when, when it all caves in, where will they be? You know, I think about the media, for example, and, and, and I believe that the media has been a tool to mislead and take us down a whole path. But at the end of the day, when it all caves in, where are those people going to be? Where are those tools going to be? They're going to be demolished. They're going to be silenced. The, the things that have, have gotten us to be preoccupied with all the, the things of this world and lust and murder and, and materialism and money, where will they be when it all caves in? They'll, they won't be there. They won't be there to answer. I can guarantee you that. When it all caves in, your money's going to be worth nothing. Your perfect body that the world tells you used to, used to, that, that you, you need to have will be useless to you in that day. Elijah's turn. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord which was in ruins. And they said, well, I guess we better go listen to Elijah because these other fellows, they just, uh, they're not having a whole lot of luck. And so Elijah says, come here to me. And, he, and they came and, and the altar of the Lord was in ruins. It was kind of a sign of the times. They had left worshiping God. The altar was in ruins. It was broken down. And his message was, to the people was, let's get back. Come here to me and let's rebuild. And he repairs the altar. And it's very, very similar to the message that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he says. Elijah says as a representative of God, come here to me. And I think the message that Elijah was saying was we need to rebuild the altar. We need to rebuild the relationship with God, with Yahweh. And it's, and it's just like us. When we stray, when we go after those false things, Jesus is there saying, come to me and let's rebuild those things that we left behind. Come back to our first love and do the things we used to do at first. Rebuild that relationship, that simple walk and fellowship with Jesus. When we stray, that's what we need to do. We need to come back to Jesus and start with the basics again. Go back to those things that you first did when you, walked, when you first found Jesus Christ and started a relationship with Him. Go back to those basic things of, of just going to the Word of God, of just going to Him in prayer, of just spending time with Him and spending time in fellowship with other believers. Rebuild that relationship. When we leave it behind, it, it, it crumbles. We have this, uh, we have this uh, 
kind of an old barbecue uh, that was probably built when our house was built maybe uh, 40 or 50 years ago and, and, and this thing you could see it was just starting to crumble and Steve was over at the house and uh, we, it, it was dangerous because the kids play out there and this thing it was just starting to crumble so we pulled out a few bricks and the thing just crumbled over and, and you know our relationship with God it needs if we leave it behind, it starts to crumble and we need to go back and rebuild it, repair it, put our lives back into that relationship with Jesus. And as we saw in John chapter 21, Jesus is willing and ready to restore us, to take us back. He wants us right back. So he, he, it says that in verse 31, it says, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the 12, uh, 12 tribes descended from Jacob, to whom of the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered, and they did it the third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even around the trench or filled the trench. He rebuilt the altar. He set up the wood. He got it all straight, and then he said, pour water on it. Just so he didn't have an advantage. Just so, you know, like the GM uh, test that these uh, newsmen rigged up with the little spark igniters in there. You remember that was in the news. And uh, just so they'd be sure that he hadn't rigged this test, soak it with water. Have you ever tried to light wet wood? It doesn't burn very well. Either God is going to answer or He's not. Either God answers or He doesn't. In verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the, Eli the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and have done all these things at your command. I wouldn't do these things if I were you, unless God commanded you to. And he says in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's the bottom line there. That you are God, and you're turning their hearts back again. The, the false prophets, they shouted, they danced, they shouted louder, they cut themselves, they went into a frenzy, but Elijah steps forward and what does he do? He just prays. He just simply prays to let the people know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our shouts. He doesn't want our dances. He doesn't want our blood. He wants our hearts. That's what He wants. And He's turning their hearts back to him. Jesus said uh, an interesting statement. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasure on the earth where moths will come and thieves will break and steal. He said, store for yourselves treasure in heaven. For he, for he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart today? Is it in, is it in the things of this world? Is it in the things that this world has to offer, or is it really in God? Is it in Jesus? Does He have your hearts because He wants your heart? Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell 
and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. And it also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, and they cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. No kidding. In Moses' time at Mount Sinai, it says that Mount Sinai was, was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Later on, David had built an altar, and it says that the Lord answered with fire upon this altar. And when Solomon had built the temple and dedicating the temple, it says that he prayed and fire came down from heaven, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The people, they fell face down when the fire of God fell. And they cried out, the Lord, He is God. You see, this wasn't for entertainment, this little show. They didn't you know, all start clapping, yeah, God, you did it. They fell on their faces when the fire fell. You know, it's not like 4th of July when you're looking up in the sky and seeing all these fireworks and you're going, ooh, ah, you know. They fell on their faces. God wants to reach our hearts, and, and this fire that fell was a fire of purity. It was a, it was a holy God, and it was a holy fire. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. There was no question now. This awesome, powerful, holy God. You know, I, I, I've been reading in the book of Revelation, and it says in uh, the first couple chapters that there are four living creatures that, that sit around the throne, Incredible looking creatures. I mean, very different. But it says that they stand around the throne, or they sit around the throne, and it says day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Day and night, these four living creatures, they, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The fire fell, and it was a fire of, of purity and a fire of holiness. Verse 40, and we'll finish with verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. There was a judgment on the false prophets, and judgment will certainly come on those that lead others astray. Jesus promised that He says, Woe to them that lead others astray. For their judgment will come, the Bible tells us. The Lord, He is God, they cried out. The Lord, He is God. Not Baal or Asherah or materialism or money or pleasure or entertainment or anything else. Not sex. The Lord, He is God. You know, I was thinking about this showdown and I was reminded as we finished the book of John recently that there was another showdown between darkness and light and it was at Calvary. It was at Golgotha. It was at the tomb where Jesus defeated all the powers of darkness. And he, most of all, he conquered death. He defeated death for everyone who would turn to him. And, and, and everyone who would turn to him would never die, Jesus said. He who lives and believes in me will never, never die. And then in 1 Corinthians 15... Uh, Paul said that death has been swallowed up in victory. There was a showdown and Jesus was victorious and death was swallowed up in victory. 
And it said that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So we want, we want to know that we are on the winning side, first of all. And the Bible says, uh, says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The prophets called upon Baal and they perished. They were destroyed. They were judged. But Elijah called upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, the Yahweh, the Lord, and he answered by fire. And at the end of the day, God is the only one that we can depend on. At the end of the day, no one else is going to answer you but God. He's the only one who's going to answer. It said there in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. I, I pray and I think we should pray as, as uh, Billy reminded us to pray for our country that God would turn the hearts of the American people back to him. Back to him. That the people of Rhode Island, their hearts would be turned back to God, that we would choose to follow Him. We would no longer waver and jump back and forth between light and darkness. If you're going to follow God, follow God. If you're going to follow Baal, follow Baal, but make up your mind you can't do both. But also that God, as we would pray, as we would pray, you and I, not just Elijah, but as you and I would pray, like Elijah, that we would be able to confront the evil around us and that we would have an impact on the world around us today, some 3,000 years after Elijah. You know, there are a few final showdowns to take place. And you and I are going to be involved in some of those, personally, corporately as the church. And then there's going to be some even after us that, that are to come. I think what you need to do is read the book of Revelation. Revelation. 